change and chaos are the only constant that we have. So you have to learn to embrace that from the get go. And you'll be so much happier in life because of that. Welcome back to Speaker Series Rewind, a podcast by High Alpha. My name is Katherine Martin, and I'm on the marketing team here at High Alpha. And I'm super excited to share this episode with you today, featuring the Sun King Brewing co-founders, Clay Robinson and Dave Colt. If you're new to the show, as a recap, this series revisits High Alpha Speaker Series events where we interview investors, entrepreneurs, and leaders across the country running everything from B2B software companies to packaged food startups and beyond. And this episode was actually one of our more recent interviews. We were able to host it here in our office in November. And High Alpha partner Mike Fitzgerald interviewed Dave and Clay about their entrepreneurship story, how they got into the professional brewing industry, Sun King's commitment to philanthropy, and they even shared a lot about their philosophy for growing and coaching their team and ensuring that everyone at their team really enjoys the work that they're doing and and sees a future for themselves at Sun King. So without further ado, let's jump into the episode. I want to welcome you all. It is so uh, wonderful to see this building full of uh, full of people in real life. We have been doing speaker series for six plus years. Many of those were in person, and then the last year and a half, they were virtual. And today is our first, I think this is our first ever hybrid uh, speaker series. So uh, welcome to those of you coming in on the live stream, and uh, special thanks to all of you who are here with us in person. Also want to thank Ice Miller and Silicon Valley Bank, who are really important sponsors for the speaker series. And I, I think it's been a long time since we've clapped in person, too. Let's give Silicon Valley Bank and Ice Miller a round of applause. Appreciate their, appreciate their sponsorship. That sounds good. It's been a, it's been a while. I'm looking at my notes. This is actually our 59th speaker series, which is pretty crazy. And we are really, really excited to have Dave and Clay, the founders of uh, Sun King Brewery, just an iconic indie brand uh, here in our presence today. Guys, welcome, and thanks for being here. We're really excited thanks. to have you. Thanks for having yeah, us. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, awesome. And listen, so what we're going to do format-wise, we're just going to talk a little bit about the, the Sun King story. And it's really, I think, an amazing kind of entrepreneurial journey that, that these guys have had in our city. And then we'll have a little time for a Q&A. And then unlike any other speaker series, we're going to roll straight into a happy hour stocked with Sun King beverages. Some of you have already uh, cracked them open, which is wonderful. And if anybody needs one, you can get up right in the middle of the speaker series and walk over and see Sean and Molly at the bar. Hello, everybody. Thanks, Sean and Molly. All right. Very nice. And we've got some individually packaged snacks over there also, if anybody wants one of those with their beverage, right? That's what we're doing these days. Okay, guys, let's, let's, let's jump in. We had, we had a good chat upstairs kind of getting ready, and I think this is going to be really fun. I, I thought we'd start just with how you two got connected and, and what, what a little bit of the backstory was before Sun King was conceived. So way back in 1997, some of you might not have been alive then, but we'll go, we'll go in the Wayback Machine. I was bartending and assistant brewing at a place called Circle V Brewing Company that doesn't exist anymore. It was uh, near Psalms Golf Course. And this hippie-ass dude came walking in the front door. There will be F-bombs along the way, so hopefully nobody's offended. 21 but and older event. You're perfect. Excellent. 
Good. All good. So this guy comes rolling in with a beard down to how far was it down to? Yeah, about there. And uh, hair about the same length. <laughs> Coming in wanting to buy a keg, and I'm like, all right, well, we were one of the only craft breweries that would sell one of the only craft breweries in the state. I think it was like the third or fourth. And like the only one that sold kegs. To go to anybody. So this guy wanted to buy some beer, and I helped load it into his VW Westphalia. So take it away from there. It was really one of my earlier forays into the alcoholic beverage world. I think we call it bootlegging. But I would buy kegs of beer from Circle V. I would load them into my Volkswagen van, and then I would take them to a place that was once called Deer Creek, and I would sling $5 pints of beer out of the back of a Volkswagen van at Grateful Dead shows and fish shows and Horde Festival and all of those various different things. So I would basically buy kegs and sling beer to afford my rock and roll habit. And and I would do that regularly, and then I'd throw parties at my house, and I've kind of, I got into beer in college. I went to Wabash College, and fell in love with beer there, working at a pub, and realized it was more than swilly yellow liquids. So Dave was my hookup, and I'd basically go in, and I'd have a beer while I filled out the paperwork, and we'd load a keg of beer in my car, and then off First taste is always free, you know what I mean? <laughs> so yeah, so I, that was 97, 97, 98, out of college. I had no idea what I was going to do with my life, so I took my first job out of college washing dishes at Roscoe's Tacos in Greenwood. My parents were really proud. I still remember the look of, of, of shock on their face when I told them I got a job and it was washing dishes. And my mom's like, you just graduated from Wabash College and you're washing dishes. I'm like, yeah, it'll be fine. I don't know what I'm going to do. So, so I did that for a couple of years and the ends weren't quite meeting, but I got to get off for whatever rock and roll concert I wanted to. So as long as I knew by Thursday what days I wanted off next week, I could take off and do whatever, even if I took two weeks off. So it worked really well, but then I needed a That's job. a flexible PTO plan at Roscoe's. I got to say. Roscoe's really got I mean, it going I on. I thought we had a flexible plan. That I, sounds pretty good. I remember, I remember having jobs in college where I'd have to like make up excuses for needing time off. And when I got there, they're like, I'm like, if you need off for a concert, just tell us you want to go to a concert. And I'm like, uh, I want to go on tour with fish next summer. So I'm going to be gone for six weeks. And they're like, okay, cool. We'll have your job when you get back. Employer so. of choice right there in Greenwood. Really? That's good. Yeah. And free tacos. So uh, I, I transitioned out of free tacos into free beer. But in 99, I wanted a job that paid a little bit more. I had waited tables and bartended in college. And so I wanted to work downtown. I lived in Greenwood. And I wanted to get a job waiting tables and I would apply for jobs and inevitably my interview with a restaurant manager would go really well and they'd say, really like you, but there's just one issue. We're going to need you to shave because we have a no facial hair policy. I actually trimmed it up. It was a little bit more like this at that time when I was going for jobs. And it's like, yeah, thanks. Really nice to meet you, but I'm not going to change my appearance or who I am just to work for you. And they're like, wow, okay. And so I'd walk out and a friend of mine said, oh, my friend Brian works at Rock Bottom and he's got long hair and a beard, so they must hire hippies. You should go work there. So I got a job at Rock Bottom as a server. I went in and I bugged them actually over a course of like several months. I almost didn't get the job because when they told me to wait at the bar for my interview, I ordered a pint of stout and the general manager who owned McNiven and now the, the, the fish and chip place over in the, in the garage, uh, yeah. Stuart was like, I saw you drinking a beer waiting for the interview and I couldn't believe anyone would actually order a beer while waiting for an interview. So that's solid. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. So anyway, they, they hired me. I started as a server, but I did a brew tour and with a guy named Tom, and he was in his late 20s, and I was like, oh, my God, this guy, like, he makes beer for a living. This is a job that somebody like me could have. And so I started asking him questions and learning a little bit more, and I worked days, and he worked days, so I'd have beers after work with him and just chat. And then one day he said, hey, do you ever think about making beer for a living? And I was like, I didn't even know it was a job that someone like me could have until I met you. 
And he's like, well, you got a good head on your shoulders. You got a good work ethic. You hustle. It's like, I think you'd make a great brewer. And my assistant's leaving for Denver and a new guy's coming in in a few months, but I'd really love to get you in the brewery and uh, see what you think. And so from the minute that I went in and brewed uh, my first batch of beer, which I had to be there at six in the morning, which seemed really crazy to get up that early for anything, but I hardly slept because I was so excited. And then I got up and I went in and the, you, you mix grain with hot water and like, and stainless steel vats and you know, like the minute that the smells were released and all of it it just was like oh my god this is you're amazing. as excited about it today as you yeah. were back then i can oh, yeah. tell i mean dave's I mean, story is very getting, similar so yeah, yeah. that's that that mm-hmm. is that, and that was at rock bottom right yeah here that was at rock bottom in 99 and so i actually started brewing with a guy named bill and he had been raised in indianapolis he moved to colorado to pursue a brewing career his opportunity to be a head brewer was here and he basically came back on our first day of time with him he said look I don't want to be here. I grew up in Indy and I want to get West again. So if you can work your ass off and learn as much as you can, uh, as fast as you can, then at the first opportunity that I can get to be transferred, I'll recommend you to take my job. And uh, I was like, okay, cool. So I read every book and I worked 60 hours a week. I got paid for 40 and I read every magazine and I did everything I could. And a year later, he got an opportunity to transfer to Seattle and uh, I got promoted to head brewery. But that was 99. So in 2000, before Bill left, they were opening a brewery down the street called The Ram. Yeah. And, And Bill said, hey, there's a new brewery down the street. Let's go down and introduce ourselves. They were under construction. So we took a couple of growlers down and we worked our way through like the construction mess back into the brewery. And a guy named John was the head brewer. And then there was this other guy who this was, guy who, who had left Circle V and showed up there. Who had moved down from the Castleton area and you're now downtown at Ram. Now downtown at Ram. Yeah. So this hippie kid comes rolling back in again <laughs> and we're like, hey, you look really familiar. Like, yeah, Circle V. Oh, shit. No no, no kidding. Yeah, Volkswagen van. Yeah, yeah. okay. Hey, what's up? <laughs> right. uh, so then our friendship really kind of, before then, it was just a hookup situation. You know, I hooked him up with alcohol and right. he, you know, made... Transactional back yes, then. Yeah. exactly. And yeah. so then it turned into more, you know, friends and we would go to each other's tapping parties and, you know, meet up on Friday afternoons as, you know, teams and just kind of shoot the shit and talk about things that were happening in our industry and looking at from our end saying to ourselves, man, Indy's kind of a flyover state, like no other cool ass brewery that you can think of cares about where we are. So we should be those guys, man. We should make cool stuff at our respective pubs. And that's what we did. Wow. But that was the, that was the, the seed of the fact that you two were symbiotic. You might like to work together. I mean, it sounds like that, that was laying the groundwork for, but but take us to the like what was the what was the point where you're like all right we're the leaving but, but let's let's go yeah so let's see the ram ran the ram opened up a second location and i needed somebody to help brew clay left rock bottom for because of cultural differences i left rock bottom at 27 years old because of corporate culture issues there there was a lot of changes. They were actually grooming for a private equity sale, which eventually happened, which eventually led them to go out of business. But my father ran, my father's an entrepreneur and he ran a number of companies and I'd seen companies change culture-wise as they'd grown, like growing up. And I saw the writing on the wall. They were treating people differently. Things were just changing and I was frustrated with it. And I knew where I was going and I wasn't super happy. And I got, I got passed over for a bonus that I rightfully should have had. So technically I quit my job over a thousand dollar bonus, but I was like, you just violated my principles. Like I, I deserve that bonus and you're not going to give it to me. And it's a thousand dollars. Like you operate 35 brew pubs around the country. And I did this, I, I legitimately actually, I hired John, who was the guy who trained Dave 
away from the Ram for a job in Colorado that they offered me, but I wasn't sure I could move to Colorado because I had to sign a year's contract and I didn't think I could work for them for another year because I was already having, it's like, look, I don't want the gig, but let me get you this other guy. But there was a signing bonus and they're like, well, you're not technically a manager, so you don't qualify for the bonus. And I was like, you know what? I'm out. And they're like, what? And He's I'm like, out. Yep. I gave him six months notice. And I said, look, at the end of the, it, it takes time to find a new brewer. I totally understand. Actually, when Dave left the Ram later in the story, he found his replacement. I found my replacement when I left the Ram. Like, we're dutiful people. And it's like, all right, I don't want to work here anymore, but I also don't want to leave you high and dry. At the end of the year, I'm walking out the door. I'm never coming back. And I'll hang around. I'll help train my replacement. Whatever you need, you've got plenty of notice. And they're like, okay. So I did my six months. About three months into it, they came back. And the guy who denied my bonus was in town. And he's like, hey, can I talk to you? I said, yeah. He said, we're going to go ahead and give you that bonus. And I said, oh, that's great. I really appreciate it. And he goes, so do you want to stay? And I was like, no, no. <laughs> like, this is a matter of principle, and you have you, – it's done. I'm out. So anyway, I left at 27. I had a great 401K match, and I had a boatload of money in the bank for a 27-year-old, and I took what was going to be three months off work, and I failed to roll over my 401K, and it just ended up in my bank account. And so then I took what was going to be six months, and it turned into three years. The finance people in the room are are cringing. (laughs) I can see them like, oh, God, the taxes on that. This is any finance person's worst nightmare. Don't do that. Don't do that. So, but I was 27 and I was naive and I thought, will I ever a long li- time to make that up. Will I ever live to retire? So why don't I spend it now? So I woke up at 30 years old and I was broke, actually in debt. I'd worked part-time construction. I traveled the country seeing rock and roll shows and reading books and sleeping on couches and hanging in Colorado with my here, sister. Clay. I yeah. see a theme. Uh-huh. And then Dave calls. I did call for somebody else's phone number. Not for Clay, actually. So we, you know, I said, hey, man, can I get Dustin's number? And Dustin started Duke's RIPD and, you know, was an assistant to Clay at one point in time. So I said, I need somebody who can brew. And he goes, well, I can brew. And I go, man, if you hated those guys, you're going to really hate the assholes I work for. So this isn't the gig for you. And he goes, nah, man. I'm broke. Like, I, being away from brewing made me realize how much I love brewing and I just need a job to like get back on my feet, pay off some debt and figure out what the next steps in my life are. And I know that I love it and I'll totally work hard and I'm sure that I'll, but I, when can I come talk to you? Okay. Today at one, I'll be there. So Dave is a really good Sherpa. He actually introduced me to the people who were doing the hiring, told me exactly what to say, told me not to be myself, and walked me through the entire process, negotiated my salary, which was a very good salary, and basically walked me through the entire thing and guaranteed me that he would be the guy who dealt with the corporate BS and I could just go in and make beer. So it's kind of heaven. It's totally what happened. Thanks, Dave. You're welcome. So they locked us in a room for 50 hours a week and made us polish copper. So we only had the two of us to talk to. And we just started this conversation about what was the best job you ever had? What was the worst job? What, what would you do if you had your own gig? And what would that look like? And how would you treat people and, and all those things? So that turned into a three-year conversation that laid the groundwork for what would become Sun King and basically, basically our ethos. Yeah. How do you give back to the community? How do we treat our employees? Like, what kind of things do we want to do? Like, we honestly, in three years, never had a conversation about we're going to make a cream ale and call it sunlight. We, we knew we were going to make a hoppy beer because we were both hopheads, and that was kind of the thing. And, you know, there's a little bit of like, all right, people like these styles and things, but our, none of our beers were actually born um, until we got to Sun King, partly because we had an intellectual property contract with the Ram, wherein any recipe that we penned and brewed on their system became the property of them. So it was actually 
the really the most difficult final year that we had together was coming up with recipes that were passable and good enough because we wanted to make really good beer. But, but you're what? saving them for you're saving but, the good ones for you're yourself. Like, oh, well, that's really good. And then we go for naming, and it's like, oh no, that's a really good name. Put it down on your list. We can't give that to these fucking people. And then and then it, you can't even imagine how hard it is to come up with like second tier names. You're like, oh man, we had so many good ones. Yeah, this one's just good enough, and we would almost use it, but probably not. So it's it works be good here. Enough that they yeah. don't know that we've given up. Yes, exactly. We we didn't phone it in. It's 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 so okay. So then you're like, okay, we're 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 out. I mean, was there was there a moment where you both went in and resigned and said, hey, we're we're going to do our own thing? Yeah, we had to do it in stages. So Clay was dating somebody, and this is another thank you point for Clay. There was this cute blonde girl that he was, you know, found attractive that was working at the Ram at the same time, and I helped bridge that gap. We, we, we had become friends. She had a boyfriend. I was dating other people. She actually admittedly thought I was a drunken jackass. She I wasn't like, wrong. I like to tell her she was not wrong. But what she found out over the years of becoming friends with me is that I actually had a good heart. And as we were planning these ideas that I was actually working on a thing that was real. And, you know, I'm definitely a person who was raised again by an entrepreneur. I used to have to ride with my dad and he'd make me listen to motivational tapes and I hated it. Zig Ziglar and, <laughs> and Les Brown and, you know. But you're it, remembering the oh, names, abs- Well, yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. But I was also raised with this, if you can believe it, you can achieve it. And if you can dream it, you can do it. And you just set your mind to a thing and you make it happen. Yep. So a manifestation is one of my superpowers. So, you know, so it was kind of, we were working on this thing and she and I had become really good friends and she became single and Dave helped convince her to actually go out with me and that I was a reasonable human being. I mean, to be honest, at the time, I would sleep in my car because I didn't want to drink and drive, and I slept in the parking garage at the Pan Am Plaza because down on the third floor below where the homeless slept, it's very temperate year-round, so I would just go crash in my Volvo station wagon. Who knew? Um, And then I kept a bag, and I'd show back up at work, and people were like, did you sleep in your car again? I'm like, yes, because it was the safest thing to do. So I thought it was smart. She thought I was an idiot. And again, she wasn't wrong. But so she was graduating with a master's degree in public health from the IU School of Medicine. And she was from born and raised in Alaska. And she's on our way to it. We were riding and she was like, I don't really know what I want to do after I'm done with my degree. I'm not even sure if I want to go into public health and I'm getting a master's degree. But I do know that I want to go home for the summer because both my brother and sister, my Sisters and brother will be home from college for the summer, and they're getting older, and I just want to spend a summer in Alaska and work on fishing boats like I did when I grew up. And I was like, that sounds amazing. How about I quit my job and we go to Alaska? And she's like, would you really do that? I'm like, I fucking hate my job. Like, I love Dave, and I love what we're trying to do, but I'm not going to write a business plan. I'm exhausted after 50 hours a week, and I just need a break, so let's do it. So I basically went to Dave, and I was Took one for the team. Yeah. I did. I was very... Very non-self-serving. <laughs> so kind of the point where he was leaving to go do that, we had people coming at us, you know, with capital and wanting us to be their brewer, but not really offering up any equity share. And then we realized, well, we own all the IP. You don't have anything but cash. We can fucking find cash. That's not going to be the problem here at all. So then we kind of looked at each other and went, why don't we do this for ourselves? So then he had the conversation with his wife, then girlfriend, and left to go write the business plan. In the meantime, there was a hop shortage. So I secured all of our raw material needs for a brewery that didn't even have a name without giving a dime away to do it. So we had, I think our first contract, hop contract was about $10,000. 
Somewhere in that neighborhood. He just kind of went out on a limb and said, this is going to happen and we're going to need hops. So. Well, I talked, to, um, I talked to our, you know, our supplier and I said, look, we're going to be, we're going to be pretty awesome. You know us, Chris, and this is something on the come. So you're just going to have to go with us and believe that it's going to happen. We're going to need hops. Otherwise, we don't have a brewery. So come on. They gave us the hop contracts, and I remember we were signing it, and Dave's like, is, what, like, if we sign these, we have to buy them. Like, We're on the hook for tens of thousands yes. of dollars of hops, and it's like, this is a big moment, and it's like, it, it absolutely is, and it's like, what if this doesn't work? I'm like, if it doesn't work, I mean, there, there was a hop fire at a hop, a hop warehouse in Yakima, and there was like some blight with crops, and so there was a severe shortage in like 2007, 2008. They were talking about it on NPR and all these things, and it's like, look, there's a hop shortage, so having You're hop gonna contracts, be fine. we can sell them. Like, we'll figure that out, and you know, we, we'd been grinding our wheels, and so it just, for me, became obvious that I needed a break, and so I went to Alaska. I helped my in-laws remodel their house for the summer. My parents came up. We cranked my parents and her family who'd never met before into a one bathroom, three bedroom cabin that they had then kind of continued and we remodeled it and uh, spent everybody's still there. friends. Everybody's still friends, actually. I mean, my mom didn't speak for the first five days, but then <laughs> after she got over the shock of it, she she was fine. So, you know, it's just one of those things it's like, hey, let's all get in it together, man. I love this girl. Let's make this thing happen. I'm bringing you to the end of the world. So we did all of that. And then I came back from it. And and basically, I didn't tell anyone I came back from Alaska. And no one actually assumed that I would ever come back from Alaska. So I locked myself in the house. I wrote, worked on the business plan. I'd go visit Dave on Thursday nights for beers and chat with him. And we'd roll over some various things. And then, you know, it, again, he, he was right. It was like, People with money want us to do this thing, but they don't understand what it takes to run a brewery. So if we help that person open a brewery, then five years from now, we're no better off because we help someone else accomplish their dreams. And now we work for somebody that we may not see eye to eye with. And we see eye to eye great. We've been friends for such a long time. We've worked together. We, we've ground through things. We've fought. We've worked through it. We know that we can work together and we know we can trust each other. And, you know, a business partner is like being married. So it's a, it's a very serious relationship. And so anyway, we wrote the business plan and in the, in October of 2000, Dave had won a medal at the Great American Beer Festival the year prior and the Rams sent him out to the GABF to, and we actually entered two beers that we had made together right before I'd left that we were aging in barrels and he entered those, and I had set up a meeting with our business partner, Andy, and Andy is a Rose Holman graduate with a master's in applied optics, and he ran in post- college. He started an engineering firm that did software consulting and then eventually sold his software consulting business to his main client, but the important part of that is, is that his software engineering company was located less than a mile down the road from a brew pub called Circle V, and Andy and his partners would eat lunch there every day. It all comes back mm-hmm. to Circle V. It all does. It all, it all does come back there. So Andy would come in when we're talking about this, you know, business plan. Andy had been hit up with people wanting to, him to invest in a bunch of different things. So I knew that before we hit, you know, took this out on the road, we need to kick the tire. Somebody to really poke all the holes in this plan. So you know, I said, hey, let's have Andy check this out, and he'll, you know, he'll shoot us straight on what what we need to do. We. Yeah. Went gray sky. We didn't give a bunch of, you know, smoke and mirrors. We're like, this is what we need to sell every day to break even. We can't promise that you'll ever get your money back. All of these things. There's only so. two people in the, on the payroll, and it's me and this guy, and we got to make enough so that he can support his family. Exactly. So all of this is set up, and Clay has this meeting, and then I fly out to Denver. 
which is super cool. So Dave's out in Denver. He gets to go to Great American Beer Festivals, 50,000 people, four days, thousands of breweries from across the country. Literally 7,000 beers get entered today. Then it was probably 5,000, but it, it, as it continues to grow, this is when they did all of those things. But So I meet with Andy and I bring my dad along because I, my dad has been an entrepreneur. He's been advising me on the business plan. I've been kind of trying. We've been kicking the tires on him like, hey, we're going to do this thing. We know a lot about beer, but don't know a lot about business. You're 70 and retired. You've been living in a motorhome for the last five years, traveling the country. Guacamole in Alaska. Yeah. Well, he was the guacamole king. Yeah, his side his side hustle while motorhoming was selling guacamole to Sam's Club and Walmart. So he wrote off all the miles in his motorhome as he stopped at Sam's Clubs and Walmarts around the country, hawking he guacamole. Was that like the like the yeah, yeah, display yeah. guy? The- no, no, he he was the sales rep. He and his partner for Pete, Yucatan for Yucatan, which was a guacamole company out wow. of Mexico that imported out of Arapan, Mexico, and sold to Sam. Club and Walmart nationwide, and then pretty, pretty good mentor. Yeah, he is. So he, he's he's started, and he's actually his business card portfolio is probably a hundred deep. Out of those hundred, two of them were very successful. Eight of them were moderately successful, and ninety of them were complete failures. But again, he just kept getting back on the train. So it's like, hey, we know a lot about beer, not a lot about business. We're gonna have to go for some money. We need a little gray hair and experience. Will you come along for the ride? And, and they had been traveling in Washington and Oregon as we were coming up with the ideas and the business plan. And he was like, oh, my God. He'd call. He's like, oh, my God, I'm at Rogue. And like, I'm the, like what craft beer is happening in Oregon? I'm like, yes, it hasn't quite hit here yet. Like, this is what we're talking about. So he came along for this meeting, and we sat down with Andy, and we were going over the business plan. And he's asking some different questions. Main question, I listened to NPR. There's a hop shortage. What are you going to do about hops? Oh, well, if you look back on the left-hand side of your our portfolio there, there's our hop contracts for the next three years, which Dave has secured. So we've got hop contracts. We've got grain contracts. We've got all our raw materials covered. Here's all of this. Here's all the numbers. And he's like, all right, so, I mean, you guys don't know crap about business. So, so Omar, are you in? He's like, yeah, I'm in. I'll be here for at least five years. I'm willing to come off the road and be a business mentor. Omar's your dad. Omar is my dad. Yep. Sorry. When your dad's your business partner, you have to refer to him as Omar. You, you don't call him dad. Um, I got gotcha. you. I'm no, clarifying I mean, for the audience. Dave, yep. Dave's got a really good story. I'm sure it's um. we're sitting in a meeting with the bank and you know like Cat Sapper Miller and first merchants and it's a high level you know like here here did the, you guys have on a suit no helmet okay. I think um, I had a flip-flop I just want to yeah. set yeah. the stage okay yeah I, I dressed up today yep you bet so we're sitting in this meeting and you know things are settled and we're almost done I mean like getting ready to shake hands hey we've got our fan you know financing and all that stuff for the next year and Clay's dad looks over at him and he goes, all right, Tiger, let's go. And I went, wait, what? That's your childhood nickname? Yeah. We, we had to have a little conversation. Like, okay, you cannot call me Tiger after in dad. any meeting. Like, yeah. no more dads. Like, because it's like, I have to talk to my business partner. It sounds a lot cooler than I got to ask my dad. So, but anyway, he came along. And so Andy looks at the stuff. He looks over all our stuff. And his wife comes. And we had no idea she was going to come. So Anna comes. And we all have a couple of beers. And we're looking over stuff. And we're talking about it. And we're, we're wrapping up. And he just looks at us. He goes, all right, we're in. I'm like, okay, great. You're in. That's awesome. I, that, Great. And I was just super excited and got out to the car with my dad. And I looked at him. I'm starting the car and I looked at him. I go, did we just get funded? And he goes, I don't, I'm not really sure. I think so. But like, that was such a good meeting. I'll call Andy and we'll like tomorrow and we'll talk a little bit over it. So I get a phone call the next morning from one Dave Colt, who's in Denver, Colorado, and he is gleeful, like jumping up and down gleeful because walking on air, two beers in the, in the competition, two medals. Yeah. Gold and silver. 
Yep. In the wooden barrel aged beer category, which is like one of the most highly contested wow. categories in the competition. So Omar gets to call Andy to say, hey, just checking in on uh, how funded we are on that we're in conversation. <laughs> how and, funded uh, are we? And, uh, and David already reached out to Andy like, oh, hey, by the way, we just won two of the uh, most coveted medals in uh, the American beer industry right now. So, so Andy's like, oh, yeah, we're no, we're, we're 100 percent. I'm 100 percent. And he's like, I've got my, my old business partner is my best friend, my parents, my neighbor. We all done well. I'd like to spread the risk, but we're, we're in 100 percent. So in one meeting, we raised our seed funding, which was $508,000. We should ask for seven fifty because we ran out of money. There's, you can't ever have enough, right? See, some things transfer well from the beer business to the software business. Mm-hmm. You raised five hundred. Mm-hmm. You should have raised seven fifty because you ran out of money. Yeah, yeah, but running out of money, honestly, is one of the things that kept us scrappy sure, and absolutely. made us fight. I mean, absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, there's, there's some good examples in our industry and I'm sure in the software industry like that, where you you see people approach and come out with a new product or something in there, they come at it and you got people who throw millions of dollars at it and it goes nowhere. Um, It's a constraint. You're fat, dumb and happy. But when you're living on very little, like we had big dreams of our tap room. We paid somebody to design a tap room and it was going to be this beautiful space and it never materialized. And I actually was embarrassed when we opened our tap room because if any of you were there back in 2009, we literally opened up with four Costco picnic tables, plastic, (laughs) three folding We we still have them. They're our lunch tables still. We're still very spendthrift overall. (laughs) Um, Like three Costco folding tables cash register from Costco and a cooler in the corner. And I was literally, I'm like, we cannot let people in here. Like this is, this is a warehouse with a cooler and some taps and folding tables. Like this is embarrassing. We oh can't do this. Yeah. We went to a U-car, used car dealership and got some pennants. So we strung them between kegs to keep people from wandering onto the brew deck where dangerous things happen. So yeah, that, that, that's that's so that's so cool. I, I first of all, you guys need to do a book, okay? Because we we have not we we we've barely opened Sun King, and we've you've got so much good material that leads up to it. So I think there needs to I think there needs to be a book. I, I want to ask about one thing if we fast forward into Sun King because you mentioned that when you were spending those few years together, kind of dreaming a little bit about what would you do if you if you were running a company or if you had your own. You made the point that it wasn't a lot of talk about are we gonna are we gonna brew a cream ale are we gonna have this kind of packaging you're talking a lot about how we're gonna treat people what's important what's the community aspect and I gotta say from you know from the outside looking in what what we as consumers know about Sun King is I mean those things are a really big part of your brand and important how, how hard was it to live up to kind of those those things that you said were going to be that th- this is I mean cuz a lot of people dream about that stuff and then when they get into the business it's harder to put people first put community first I mean did was that ever a struggle or are you guys locked easiest, in on that easiest thing easiest thing we ever said we'd do we did because you live in a community and you got to care for people to care about you you have to care about them first right to be a friend you got you know to have a friend you got to be a friend and so that was baked in from very beginning when we were told no by the people at the Ram when we wanted to help out arts organizations around town. And we're like, nope, this is 100%. We're 100% in. We didn't put some sort of like 1% goes to blah, 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 right? We're like, give a damn. Let's care about our community. Let's do things about it. Not only just, you know, folks like uh, 501c3s, we also were looking in our backyard, and that kind of goes to the origin story of the name because all of this happened, and we didn't even have a name yet, right? We, we were so concerned. 
Yeah, we did get funded without a name. We are so concerned about culture and how we wanted to act and react. Then the name, you know, was secondary. What flavors we would make was secondary. We already knew we were going to make some tasty things, and those would come naturally as we were moving along. So, yeah, it's 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 it, it, it's really interesting though that you that you kind of kept that going. And I, I would I would challenge the audience when you're next in front of your computer, or look up on the Sun King website, which which I did earlier on the community page. I mean, there are 500 organizations that you have supported and continue to support in our community, which is which is remarkable, right? I mean, you're going to get credit if you serve 50, but you've got 10 times that number that are part of it. Just just talk for a minute about about uh, why that's important and how that how that works. So it all started, honestly, super modestly, and it was one of those things. It was important to us. We wanted to make sure that we did it. To go back to, to Omar again, there is... The, he did the guacamole, but he also repped sausage to Sam's Club and Walmart from a company in Texas called Kielbasa Sausage. Michael Kielbasa started the company. And whenever he would be down there, their receptionist would be at the front desk and people would be calling in or stopping in. And basically any organization that asked for sausages to be donated to church cookout, a fundraiser, whatever, they would pretty much give to. You know, we started getting asked very early on. Everybody wants free beer. And and that's great. But we also realized that like, well, it, we can't just give everyone free beer because we have a business to run and we got sunk costs in it. So in Indiana, the only way you can discount beer is to all day, every day, because we don't have happy hour provisions, or you can discount it to your employees or a 501c3 community organization. So we basically started working with and people like, oh, can we have free beer? And we're like, no, you can't have free beer, but we can sell you beer at an in-kind rate that covers the cost that it takes us for our labor and overhead and materials so we can sell it to you for a third off. And we're like, what are you going to do with it? And they're like, oh, well, we're going to have an event and we're going to give it away. Like, that's a terrible idea. So we flipped it on the ear to start with. And like, we started doing like gift baskets and things like that for a lot of people. And honestly, if any of you have something you care about that you're involved in, send an email to, you know, info at Sun King. There's actually a page on our website, community partners, and there's even a website form. So if your kids have a soccer club or you're part of a knitting club and you have a a, a, a silent auction. We do tons of silent auction bags every single year. When when they they were a bigger thing, obviously pre-COVID, and COVID's caused us to change a lot of and try to figure it out. But it, very early on, it's like, okay, don't give away beer. We will help you figure out and train you and teach you how to sell beer to people because people come to events and don't get charged 20 bucks to get in and let people drink for free. That's a college frat party. That's not a fundraiser. <laughs> you know, what you need to do is take the beer. People respond to, like, it's a good it's a good beer. And then we'll sell you the beer for one third off. So you can buy a keg of beer for $100. There are 120 pints in it. And if you sell it for $5 a pint, you're going to make $600. Our first and biggest success story was St. Thomas Aquinas School, which is up in, in, in Meridian Kessler. And Troy, who actually is now our VP of operations, is was the guy who was organizing it. And he and I had worked at Rock Bottom way back in the day. He was like, hey, we've got this event and we go through beer and it funds my kid's school and blah, blah, blah. Will you donate? I'm like, we can do the one third in kind. You're already selling beer. You know, we could donate a few kegs, but you need to buy kegs. It grew to the point in time. And this year they brought it back again, but they sell 97 kegs of beer <laughs> in two and a half you days. You heard it here first. Um, yeah. And, and literally, they raise $50,000 every year for Selling their kids' schools. Yeah, and they actually, originally, they were like, well, I mean, we've got a sponsorship from Budweiser, and they give us some free kegs. And we're like, that's cool. They can do that, but we're going to do this. And the first year they did it, they're like, holy crap, people wanted your beer a lot more than they wanted Budweiser. <laughs> and then the next year, they're like, okay, we're 
need less Budweiser and more Sun King. And then like three years in, they're like, okay, we're going all Sun King because the way that you guys do and work and help us promote the event. So we started, we did a lot of that. And in our community ranges from, you know, we'll help you with gift baskets. We'll help you with side long We'll give you space to hold events and bring people into the tap room. And we give a dollar back on things this year for our 12th anniversary. We did the 12 days of Sun King in the middle of July. And we're like, okay, or June to July. And we're like, okay, for 12 days, we're going to pick 12 organizations from across the city that we think could use some funding. And we're going to donate a dollar from every single pint sold in all six of the Sun King locations, like five, because the airport's owned by or operated by a partnership with some folks because airport operations are weird. But anyway, but from all five Sun Kings and we raised $16,000. Yeah, it was over $16,000. $16,000 in 12 days that we spread along 12 different organizations. And, you know, we... So we do a lot of pint give backs and it's really at the height of it pre COVID was a really proud area and moment. We had three people working full time in community development and we uh, through beer donations, silent auction bags, everything. We had a $1.2 million economic impact on local organizations. And then COVID came, turned all of that on its ear. And now we're like, we continue to do as much as we can last year, 2020 was tough. 2021 it's been coming back. And like, as we got into summer now our people in community, which it, or like, oh my God, it's like drinking from a fire hose because now that things are back and people are doing stuff, it's like, how do you manage all of it? But yeah, let's, um, let's go. it's a good problem. It is. Yeah, that's, that, that's really good. That's really, Dave, I wonder if you'd share, you, you shared a story when we were talking earlier about your philosophy on developing people and kind of helping people that, that work with you and work for you find that which is, you know, their, their calling. And I, I just think it speaks a lot to how you guys came together and maybe the companies that you worked in and said, Hey, we're going to do things a bit different. Would you, would you mind sharing the story of the, the, the guy that, that is yeah, baking? totally. I'll start off by saying that we care and we mentor as much as possible. So, you know, we've, we've helped mentor a circle kombucha, Ash and Elm, a Rheingeist in Cincinnati and, you know, countless other breweries and other startups across the U S mostly in beer, spirits, distillation type stuff. But, you know, when you're walking around and you're interacting with your folks, you can see people who are happy and excited and energized about the job that they have. And then you can see people who are going through the motions. So there's a fellow that worked in our lab, nice guy, you know, had a degree in biology from wherever, you know, Purdue, IU, what have you. And he just was kind of going through the motions. Right. And so on Mondays he would bake his butt off all weekend long and bring in such delicious things best chocolate chip cookie I've ever had. I mean, ever, 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 period. And, you know, bread, he like, he put lava rocks in his oven so he could get the humidity just right, all these things. And I'm like, you're using your science degree to make delicious things. This is your calling. This is your passion. You don't really dig it here. I mean, it's okay. It's a job and it's meeting the ends that you want, but it's not fulfilling your life. It's not sustaining you. So let's find out what that is for you and help you get there. By the way, restaurants need baked goods. You love to bake goods. We sell to a lot of restaurants. Maybe we can find an internship for you. And we totally did. And he moved on to that, segued. I saw him six months after the fact. Came, he came into the tap room and you know, I said, Kyle, oh my gosh, you look fantastic. And he goes, thank you. Thanks. Yeah, I think I think that's a great story. And I think uh, so many of us, as as managers or leaders, have got to learn to think that way. Because you know, the the other way to take that is, 
that, that, that created an open spot on your team, right? That he was doing work that was going to have to get done by someone. And, uh, yeah, we backfilled him with somebody who was doing cartwheels to get that job. Yeah, so, yeah. And he left with you know a great taste in his mouth about Sun King. So he's going to evangelize about Sun King everywhere he goes. We got him started in the thing that makes him the most happy. Yeah, it's good. Thanks for sharing that, Dave. It's a great I mean, story. I think you know so often people look at people going, moving on, or going or leaving. Like people take things too personally a lot of times these days, and it's as though like because someone else is moving on and doing their thing, people often feel abandoned by that and. You know, and, and it's a normal human reaction. You know, you create relationships and you've got these bonds and, you know, you're, we're all working together. And we've had moments, you know, where people have left us and you're like, oh, my God, I can't believe you're leaving with us. I mean, in the last year and a half, we've lost three different people who spent eight plus years with us. I mean, they're yeah. people who I thought would be with us. I'm like, oh, man, there's, that dude's retiring at yeah. Sun King. Like, he'll, he's 42 and he'll be here when he's 65 and we'll give him a gold watch or whatever yeah. it is. The equivalent of a gold watch in however many years that is, and he'll go away. And, you know, they have their opportunities out there, and they happen, and there's moments where you're like, oh, what do we do? And then I've come to be okay with it. And, I mean, we, we do preach the value of change, and people need change, and change leads yeah. to growth. And, you know, whenever we do have those moments, there is somebody else out there that is looking for that opportunity, and you get an opportunity to make a new friend and have a new employee and offer an opportunity to somebody, like Dave said, like the person who replaced Kyle was doing cartwheels. Like, oh, my God, I'm so excited. I can't yeah. believe that I get to do beer science for a living. Yeah. And <laughs> Kyle's like, oh, I got to do beer science. I'll just bring my cookies in. And maybe sugar will get me by. Yeah. So we try to recognize those things <laughs> yeah. in people and help them get where they want to go. Change and chaos are the only constant that we have. So you have to learn to embrace that yeah. from the get-go and you'll be so much happier in life because of that, right? Yeah. So pivot, pivot, pivot. That's what COVID has taught us. And we were preaching that and thinking about that beforehand. The first time that one of our longtime people left, that was painful. And we did take it very personally. And we we're like, oh my gosh, I thought we provided a really great thing. What did we do wrong? Exactly. And then we went, well, personal choice, man. It's all good. Let's embrace that. Let's do cartwheels. Hey, thank you for your time here. Yeah, that's good. That's that's enlightened. Enlightened management. I think we got a question in the audience. We got the mic warmed up. I, I, yes. You you talked earlier about how well you get along and sort of your similarities and I, I assume shared values, but I'd like to know if there are areas where one of you has strengths that the other, or, you know, one of you has weaknesses, you know, like sleeping in your car and sleeping in a bed or whatever. Oh yeah. Um, Well in brewing, I'm counterculture because I don't have a beard, you know, but what, what is interesting. And and I think what we talked about or tap danced around, but we didn't actually say is we subscribe to the mastermind theory. Nobody holds all the cards and nobody knows everything there is to know. So you surround yourself with all the people that you need to make a thing work. And that's why we brought in Clay's dad. From the get-go, we brought in Andy because, well, man, he's a Swiss Army knife, right? The guy's a utility engineer. You got somebody who has logical, clear, you know, clarity of thinking, right? Yeah, we, we definitely have different skill sets. And, I mean, so when I, was, uh, when I left rock bottom in my late 20s, I knew that I didn't want to be in my 40s lifting bags of grain and brewing beer in a pub or doing what I was doing. And 
I mean, I didn't run from brewing, but when we got into it, like I was, I was the assistant brewer. I did the events. I did the delivery. Dave was the head brewer. He was brewing. We were working in the tap room. We were doing all of these things. Like when you're a startup, you're wearing all of the various different hats. And there got to be a point in time where I was helping Dave brew, but I would be there. I also managed our social media. So I'm trying to manage social media and I'm on my computer over to the side and I'm doing emails and I'm running beers to bars and restaurants before 11 a.m. So I get it there and then I'm coming back and I'm with him from 11 until like two and then I'm running out to run some beers to places and coming back to finish up the brew and then I'm running things home at the end of the day and like it just kind of got to a point where we realized like okay we can pay somebody to be an assistant brewer and you can just go be you and I knew that I wanted to transition out and I to this day I I don't brew beer anymore and it was a really weird thing I, I couldn't even say those words for like several years but it was hard for me because being a brewer was a big part of my identity and who I was but I don't brew beer and it's okay. I'm creative in a whole lot of other ways. And like, as we've gone, like Dave is really, he oversees all of the liquids. He oversees our team for distilling. He oversees our team for brewing. He oversees recipe development, all these things. And it's something that feeds his soul. And every Tuesday, Dave spends the morning in Fishers brewing on our small batch system, which is part of why we even have a small batch system. And he spends the afternoon in Carmel at the distillery with Meredith, our distiller there. And that, that feeds him. You know, I spend different times. I've become in love with being a business person and learning more things and growing. And I kind of moved out into the marketing and some of the sales and just a lot of different things. And then honestly, over time, that was, we used to have a lot more delineations. And while he's still over, we still oversee different things. We had a lot of delineations and honestly, COVID brought us back together. And once COVID hit, I mean, we, March, mid-March of 2020, we started spending more time together than we had in over a decade of our business. You know, our business turns 12, and it was every day. We're both in there. We're discussing the problems, the opportunity, the changing regulations. We're in a highly regulated environment. How many people can come in? How do we deal with these things? And so we we kind of both are involved in all of the things, but we oversee various different elements. Yeah, so we had... Clay's dad as the president and CEO. And then, you know, and if you were sitting here, I would tell, I would say it the same way. We helped him move on because we needed that. He is one of the best startup entrepreneurs you could ever, ever hope to run across. Amazing. But he does not business. want to no. run a business day to day. Like you, he wants to grow it, scale it. And he wants the F out. Like I'm done. Like what we do on a day to day basis is boring to him. And yeah, and also, he's uh, 82 years old now. He was he was 77 when he retired, and he's an old school command and control entrepreneur. And like when we started Sun King, we as people who owned it would go into a meeting once a week. We would make decisions about the world, and we would come down from the mountain and we would say, "Hey, this is how we do it." And we found as our workforce got younger and younger, and people wanted more information, and things changed as we as we worked him out and retired him. It retired him. And then eventually, like Dave and I, we, we brought in somebody to help be the president for a while. And that's hard when you're a founder, when you're founders and another person. And we all got along really, really great. But at the end of the day, he had other opportunities. And we're like, we think we just need to step up and run our own company. But neither one of us actually wanted to be the CEO. So we're co-CEOs. That's our yeah. title. It's really confusing to the bank and anyone that it we is communicate with. Much, yeah. But neither of us want the job, so we share it. We kind of share a brain. Yeah, um, it's true. And, it's true. And, and so for us, you know, it's it's there. There's a lot of overlap, and 
you know, it, it, it works. And I mean, honestly, I mean, we've talked about it. I mean, Dave is one of my best friends on the planet. He's my business partner. I have a wife and I have a work wife and it's this guy and we grind no. through things and we work through stuff. I'm the work husband. Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. Oh, you actually are the work husband at work. He's everyone. I found out recently that people refer to us as mom and dad and I'm mom. And, yeah. but, but we, we, we really do work well together and we share responsibilities and there are things that we see. And we honestly, we also continue to work in empower our teams to be better so like three four years ago times a real weird blur with the last year or two but we were we were running the company and we were looking at the financials and we were actually going over our financials every month and we were always in the rears and i actually i ended up in it stuck in costa rica with my wife's teaching yoga there and i was down there and i got stuck there and i ended up going through a bunch of old emails and catching up on some things while i was stuck in this hotel room and i found this book the great game of business that my dad had sent me some stuff which is an open book like management idea. And I bought the book for myself and Dave and our other partners. And we all read it and we're like, Oh my God. And like forever, Dave and I had been for the last several years, as we took over the company and Omar transitioned out, we were, we were the only ones seeing the numbers and we were bearing old school entrepreneurs. Don't tell anybody the numbers. It can only lead to chaos. Yeah. Wrong. So wrong. Yeah. And, and I mean, we, we had, we had a few tough years in there where like as the craft beer industry kind of leveled out a little bit. And I like to say, I mean, Growth is good and sales cover all sins. And so when you're growing, you don't have to watch your money nearly as close. But when you level out, you're like, oh, shit, where's all our money going? So we were kind of in this spot where we were leveling out and we'd seen years and years of like tremendous growth. You know, you're talking about 100%, 50%, 30%, 20%, 25%, 30%. And then all of a sudden you're like, none. And you're like, where's it all going? So we started opening up to our leadership team and building a strong leadership team. And like the best skill I ever learned as an entrepreneur was to delegate. Like my whole hiring philosophy is let's hire people who are smart, talented, and passionate and get the fuck out of their way. Like let them do their job. Yeah. No, that's, 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 that's really good. That's really good. That was a tangent, but. No, no, that's, that's all good. We got time for one more quick one before we hit the, we yeah, hit the we're bar. very quick. We, yeah, before we hit the bar. Two word answer. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. Please go right ahead. Oh, as you were scaling, how did you all first select your team? Who was the, who was the first person that you hired other than the two of you? Like where, where, where did you go from when it was just the two of you? When we first started, people were so excited by our existence that they would come work for us for free. Literally, I, I just want to help pour beer. I just want to be a part of it. This is exciting and dynamic. So our first person actually helped us kind of build out the space. And then we're like, all right, you're a handy dude. And you were, you know, an assistant GM at Menards. You've got, you know, which end of a screwdriver is up. We're hammering nails. We're building things. Want, you want to work a couple, 10, 20 hours a week? And then he became our first full-time hire. He was there for a few years and then left us. Actually, our second full-time hire, Craig, is still with us today. And he's wow. gone from like tap room to delivery to seller to back to delivery to line cleaning. And now he's a sellerman again. He's kind of worked through a whole lot of different things. And I, it, it is very weird. Like, I mean, when you look at the world that we live in now, it was so different in 2009. And honestly, the existence of Sun King in 2009 was a rough. great recession. Yeah was revolutionary for Indianapolis. Like there was nothing like it. I still look back and if you were around and went to the tap room back in 09, 10, 11, like we 
didn't sell pints of beer. You could only drink beer in three ounce cups. And we would have hundreds of people like every afternoon or like Friday afternoon just show up. And it was like this crazy happy hour of people just gathering and like people loved it. So like our CFO thought it was a cool place and he was an auditor at another company and he met my father and had a beer and started talking and then he started volunteering to like help look over our numbers. So we honestly had people kind of out of the woodwork come to us. We did. Brad is an amazing CFO. It's one of those better than, you know, better to be lucky than good. And that's a classic example. So he saw in us things that we didn't know. That's why he volunteered and then eventually got hired on and, and did all that kind of stuff. So his favorite part is he comes to work and he wears a t-shirt and jeans and sneakers and he flexes on every accountant on the planet who comes in the building <laughs> because he doesn't have to wear a suit. He regularly invites or would invite his like old colleagues, colleagues from yeah. BKD yeah, or wherever he had worked before to come in and like they'll all show up in suits and he's like, hey, what's up? So so we're very fortunate because beer is 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 and has been appealing and like even coming out of COVID, I, I mean, I do think that like our community model has served us very well. Giving back to the community does great for us. Young people care about where they work and what they want to do. So our staff is fairly young overall. And, you know, we've got people, our lead brewer worked at Menards as well. And he came in on a weekend and was like, shit, this is really cool. I want to work here. So he started working in our tap room and that's like nine years ago, probably. Um, uh, yeah, he'll be 10 yeah. um, this beginning of next year. So we, we try to create a really good environment. I mean, we have we have amenities that outside of free beer and discount beer to take home and a beer at the end of your shift, we have a full-time chef who makes lunch for us Tuesdays through Friday. Friday's leftover day now because we needed, we figured that out over COVID that we should probably eat all our leftovers. But like we have a full-time chef who makes lunch for us because it's hard to leave the place when you're working in production. And we give back. And so, you know, even post-COVID, COVID, when you're having restaurants and bars talk about how bad server shortages are, like we, A, we don't operate restaurants. So if you want to wait tables for us, we have a lot of school teachers and we have nurses and we have students and all of these different walks of life who, you know, maybe their day job isn't exciting, but they can come to Sun King and work eight hours a week, two shifts and make a few extra hundred bucks and be in an environment that's fun and get a beer discount and be around people that are exciting and, and interesting. And then we also, you know, yeah, we just, we, we started doing full-time benefits and healthcare and 401k early on because it's something that we wanted to do. I think we're going long. We're past that question. No, no, it's good. That's good. <laughs> but I guess the, the point is that like we recently hired an event coordinator because our event coordinator, our events changed from like our canvitational anniversary party and like these big public events to not having those to we have spaces we need to book. And we put out an event coordinator application. We got 97 applications from people. And I was overwhelmed, like, oh, my God, we sent out a cultural survey, which is like 10 silly questions that you need to answer to see if you might fit in with our, I like to call our staff the island of misfit toys because there's something uniquely wrong with each and every one of us. But we all work together and love what we do. And we called that down to 35. And I read 35 different, like, cultural surveys from these people. And we called that down to six. One got another job. We interviewed five. We could have hired three, but we picked one and she's awesome. And so, you know, in an era where it can be hard to find people, we're fortunate because of how we operate our business. May I ask a question? <laughs> oh, yes. So yeah. one of the silly questions is, this is a statement, then a question is, what is your superpower? Clay, what is the number one response for what is your superpower? 
What would your superpower? I mean, well, if I you had a superpower, is the number that flight is a big one. Uh, flight, flight, teleportation was actually a big one. That's number one. In the event teleportation. Actually, yeah, that's good. Mind reading. One, uh, yeah, yeah, one Jesus. person they did not get a call back. Does that sound weird? Like, I want to know what's in your brain. No, thank you. <laughs> There's some scary corners. I've I've lived a life. You know, you don't need to see all that stuff. So, that's yeah. Good. I think that's a, as good of a place as any to move into happy hour. What do you think? Let's get happy. Let's do it. Please join me in thanking Dave and Clay. It was awesome, guys. Thanks so much. This episode is brought to you by The Juice. Both content consumers and B2B brands are frustrated by the oftentimes necessary practices used to drive leads at the expense of the end user. The Juice is on a mission to transform the content marketing industry by creating the first on-demand hub for marketing and sales professionals to access, consume, and organize thought leadership and educational content. Each experience is uniquely tailored to their interests and roles, mirroring consumer experiences like Spotify, Netflix, and Apple News. Visit thejuicehq.com to discover insightful content and claim your brand page. That's thejuicehq.com. Thanks so much for tuning in to today's episode. Speaker Series Rewind is brought to you by Hi Alpha, a venture studio that designs and builds B2B SaaS companies. If you're a fan of the show, leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. You can also subscribe or find additional content at highalpha.com slash podcast. We'd really appreciate any reviews. It'll help us reach more awesome people like you. Catch you next time.